Well, let's welcome you back to Systematically Wild. Uh, happy to welcome back Kevin Luco with me here, Kevin. And uh, let's start with the Minnesota Wild, where it got off to a nice start last week, but things turned quickly. Yes, they did. You know, folks, um, a soft cliche, but you got to play three periods. And frankly, this week we did not see that out of the wild on Thursday night or Saturday night, and it led to a disappointing week after it got off to a promising start with a win over Washington on Tuesday. And now I think many fans and you are wondering what direction this club is going to be heading in the rest of the season. What, what, what surprised me about the two losses, Kevin, was they had those six goals against Florida and then five against Carolina, and you're like, well, that's, that's pretty darn impressive. Then you get five against Washington, and then you're held to two by Nashville and then Anaheim. Oh, wow. That's a – what happened there? I thought Thursday, and it was kind of the general consensus that they're just, it, it just didn't seem like the Wild had a lot of energy going for them Thursday night against the Predators. Or maybe that's Nashville also making that happen, playing a good defensive style of hockey. But it just didn't seem like the Wild had much of um, much energy in their game. And... You know, um, Saturday they, they thought they just tried to get a little too fancy against a team that they knew they had a good chance of beating them. You know, the hockey, they all have uniforms, and they just let the Ducks stick around too long, and, you know, you don't clear out a guy in front of the net, he gets a tip-in goal to tie the game, and then lose coverage on another guy, Troy Terry, who's uber-talented. And he gets the game-winning goal, and it just couldn't couldn't manage to tie it. So now they don't play again till a week from Thursday against the Chicago. But you have to ask yourself at this point: Does this team really believe they can become a playoff team, or do you play out the string and just look to next season? Because really. You know, you got you got fans that will say, "Oh, they just need a tank. They just should, should just tank the rest of the season." Well, in the salary cap era of sports, that's pretty tough to do because you only got you can only bring up so many guys, and then what do you do with the guys that are on one-way deals? You can't just bring up a bunch of minor leaguers and sit sit um expensive players because it just it just doesn't work like that. So you know, Minnesota's just kinda in that mid area where you know the playoffs are starting to look out of reach but there's really not much they can do. Well you know the other part of it too, Kevin, is just because you decide to, let's say you tank the season, you know, looking to try to improve your your draft status or whatever, that, that doesn't mean those big contracts are gone. So, you know, you still could wind up with some hefty contracts that you can't 
really, you know, trade away or, or let go of or something like that. And you're still in, you know, having some battles with trying to build a roster out of that. So that's not necessarily improving your, your status for next season. And that's what I thought was, I had me scratch my head a little bit when Bill Guerin gave the long-term deals to Matt Hartman and Marcus Foligno and Matt Zuccarello early in the season. I thought, and many in the media agree, that maybe that was something where you kind of let the season play out a little bit and then see, okay, do I want to sign this guy long-term or do I want to test the trade waters? So really, right now, Bill Garrett, if you want to make a deal, there's really not much he can deal out right now without guys waving their no-trade clause. And most of the guys... Obviously, they have a no-trade clause because they don't want to be traded, right? Exactly right. And they're willing to stick out their time in Minnesota. So and You know, it's not like – and it's not like if you got, like, a number one overall pick that's going to be a surefire save the franchise, we're going to be in the playoffs next year kind of deal. You know, folks out there that have ESPN Plus, I would recommend that you go watch – the Chosen One, it's a documentary that just came out on Alexander Dagg, who was the first overall draft pick for Ottawa Senators in 1993, and they thought that Dagg was going to lead the Senators to prominence, and it just never happened. I mean, look at them and the Oilers. How many years did they have number one overall picks, and it really didn't click until they got Connor McDavid? I mean, does everyone remember the, the draft in that was held in St. Paul where your number one pick was Niall Yakupov. Where is he? Impressive you could say that name correctly too. So that you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pat you on the back for that one. Didn't he not only knew the name but said it well. So that was pretty impressive. Yeah, you know, I was at the draft that year, so you know, it's kinda easy to remember the who the number one guy was. It just Goes to show you, it really wasn't the most dynamic um, draft of all time. Even though Minnesota in that draft did get um, Jonas Brodeen. Well, there you go. And at the you know at the time I'm sitting in the crowd, Mister Draft Expert wanted this team to get more offense. Like, why did they go out and draft this defenseman guy? Uh, Brodeen has proved to be pretty well worth it. Yes, he has been. Well, Kevin, let's quickly go through the games from this past week. So starting on Tuesday night against Washington, team jumped out to a 3 nothing lead. Uh, first two goals in the first period, Faber and Felino with the goals there. And then Johansson scores his first goal of the night, his seventh of the season. Washington is able to get cut the deficit to two with a late second, well, mid, excuse me, midway through the second period goal. But Eric Sinek and Johansson with their second goal, his second goal of the night makes it 5-1. Washington able to cut the deficit to a couple with uh, – Two late goals, but they were really never in this game. This is a contest dominated by, from the wild, by the Wild from the very start, and a fairly easy victory for the club. This isn't really your um, Washington Capitals team that are from the heydays of Ovechkin and the gang. You know the Caps that went to the that won the Stanley Cup against Vegas. You know it just. I hate to say it, but I think Alex Ovechkin is 
on the downslope of his career. And it's really sad to see because he's been such a great player. But watching that game, I always like to watch where he sets up in the zone for the power play because he kind of has his own little area. He'd probably call it his, his office. And then I'm watching, and he is passing up a shot. And I'm like, that's not the OV I remember. But, yeah, getting back to the subject of Minnesota, you know, they had a good, strong start. Um, two goals are in the game by Faber and Felino helped set the tone, and it was a, a solid night for Minnesota. On Thursday night, game's looking like it's going to be – it was actually an incredible goaltending battle. Erickson X scores 12-44 into the second to give Minnesota one nothing lead, scoring on the power play. And Gustafson was making that hold. He was playing very well in this contest. But two goals in the span of about 30 seconds turned this game in the third. Nashville was able to extend the lead to 3-1. to one. Matt Boldy cuts the deficit to one with a little under four minutes left in the contest with the second power play goal of, for the night for Minnesota. But uh, as you talked about, Kevin, you got to play that whole 60 minutes and just that 30 seconds in the third period really doomed this club. And it was just it was just bad D-zone coverage. You know, on the tie and go by Carrier, it was four wild defenders are battling along the board and Nashville won the puck battle and just got out to Carrier and he was able to just float right down center ice and beat Gustafson in the tie of the game. And then... Couple other mistakes, and all of a sudden you're down three to one. So it's just seems like this has been the kind of year for Minnesota, especially defensively, where any little mistake is seem seems to be fighting the back of the net. This past weekend was hockey weekend for Kevin Loco. So Saturday, uh, the the Anaheim Ducks came into town. Minnesota able to take a two to one lead in the first period. Uh, Kaprizov scores his 19th goal of the season. Merrill with his second. And again, getting great goaltending, looking like this is this contest is set. But two third period goals by Anaheim, uh, Strom with his sixth goal of the season, 6:45 into the third period ties it. Then Terry with his second goal of the night at 11:40 to give the team the three to two lead. Great goaltending performance. Unfortunately, the team not able to hold the lead. Yeah, Gustafson, I thought played fine, but um, you know how many times we talk about it, he just can't. You know, a one-goal lead, you're, it's a one-shot game. So, yes, you do have the lead, but you're you're one shot away from a tie. So, I thought when Minnesota didn't get the separator goal in the second period, they they came close. Um, Matt Boldy is, is offside by a, a couple inches on what would have been a Marcus Johansson goal to make it 3-1. to one. You have to wonder if Boldy's onside, is that a different game once Minnesota goes up 3-1, but it was not meant to be, and the Wild just could not figure out Dostal at all for Anaheim, so it was a good road win for the Ducks, but I just thought it was a devastating loss for Minnesota. Now they have to stew on that loss for the entire All-Star break in the bye week that they're on. So 21-23-5 right now, Kevin, seventh place in the Central Division. As you talked about, what you're really shooting for now is one of those two wild card spots. And uh, the the lowest of that right now is 52 points, I believe, is what we're talking about. Actually, there's three teams at 54 points, so I guess you got to work at that here. So St. Louis, Nashville, and Los Angeles. So you're looking to get bump ahead of two of those clubs. And at, uh, at 47 points, 
54 isn't a long way away, but it seems like the way this team is playing, the seven points seems almost insurmountable some nights. And, you know, it, with the way the NHL is now, too, with games that go into overtime where, you know, both teams are getting points out of it. It's, it's tough if you don't, um, and, you know, if you got the games against the teams in front of you, too, you got to win those games in regulation. There's such an emphasis on that because, you know, in overtime, you're only making you're only making up one point on these teams, and Minnesota's got a lot of teams to climb. So, unless this team comes back and just gets on a real tear, I just don't see a scenario in which Minnesota can can make up the difference and get into a playoff spot. Well, you know, the that, break, then that comes oh, March eighth. It's March. I mean. What do you do? You do have some guys that are going to be free agents this summer. You know, that's going to be a tough decision for Bill Guerin to make. The, are you a buyer or are you a seller? If you're a seller, how do you explain that to your team? Basically, you're just saying, hey, I, I give up. If you're a buyer, well, Minnesota can't even really buy right now. They made a, one move claiming um, Declan Chisholm off of waivers from Winnipeg on Monday afternoon, and sounds like Chisholm could be a guy that could be a puck-moving-like defenseman, so we don't know whether he'll be up with Minnesota or if he'll get some games in with Iowa and try to get sharp again as he was a seventh defenseman for Winnipeg and didn't get to see a lot of action. So, you know... It'll be interesting to see how this second half plays out, too. You know, you could get to the point where Minnesota could have some draft picks that are playing juniors that are ready for a late um, trial, either with um, Iowa or even possibly Minnesota. Yeah, I I think you said this a couple of months ago, that it, it often seems that Minnesota is more concerned about just making the playoffs. I mean, so I wonder if you're a buyer, are you just thinking, okay, all we want to do is make the playoffs? Because if that's really your goal, I mean, I understand, you know, people will say anything can happen in the playoffs and and kind of thing, but let's be realistic about it. If this team makes the playoffs, it's going to take a downright miracle for them to get past a Colorado, a Dallas, even a, a very hot Vancouver team so far right now. And so, I, I wonder if you're and with Edmonton and the way they're playing with 16 wins in a row right now. I wonder if if you look at this and just say if all you're playing for is just to make the playoffs, is that really worth it for this organization? I mean, they need to start doing some revamping and and figuring out what they're going to do to improve this club. And just making the playoffs is not going to do that for them. Well, the problem is the owner Craig Leopold is not one to embrace a, a rebuilding phase. He wants to win, and he wants to win right now. So he's the kind of owner he would like. I think he would rather make the playoffs and lose in the first round. Obviously, you don't want to lose. But he, given the two scenarios between making the playoffs and losing in the first round or going on a total rebuild, he would rather make the playoffs. He just does not have the patience for a rebuild. And frankly, I think this market, this Minnesota hockey market, is not a market that's going to embrace a rebuild either because 
we we've seen this market lose a team before with um so you know that's if Minnesota decides to go on a rebuild, you know these hockey fans are gonna find out other games to go to, so you know i don't I don't see this market embracing a rebuild and still paying the ticket prices that they have to pay to go watch it so you know, you're kind of then between a rock and a hard place. You're trying to rebuild and also be a playoff team at the same time. And, uh, you know, it just isn't the right combo. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's not like there isn't plenty of hockey to watch out there in Minnesota. <laughs> so, you know. No, no. I mean, problem. that's the thing. We saw that, too, on Saturday with Hockey Day in Minnesota where there were outdoor games all day and Oro Road and then – you know, a lot of a lot of hockey organizations throughout the state decide to kind of have their own um, hockey day festivities. But you know, that was the thing with when the North Stars were struggling to draw fans. They were struggling to draw fans, but um, the old Mariucci Arena was being filled every night. So people will get their hockey fix, but if the professional team isn't played up to their standards, they're they're going to go find something else to watch. And I hate to say it, but there's a basketball team across the river that's playing pretty good too. So that now you got competition for your ticket dollar from them also. So, so I guess it's a situation where the Wild are going to have to remain um, somewhat um, relevant, or you're going to start seeing some empty seats at that arena. Before dropping down to the AHL, let, let's talk about two stories still in the NHL that I'm curious on your thoughts for. Patrick Waugh takes over in New York. I I guess I'm not surprised that the team decided to make a a move to change that. Waugh was very good in Colorado for a few seasons. It looked like the team kind of soured on him, and he was out the door as hockey coaches seemed to only survive three or four years anyway. So what do you think about New York bringing him in to be their guy? You know, he was a fiery coach with Colorado. He got got a lot of those players out there. But, you know, like you said, it's – as Glenn Samor often said about coaches, you know, a lot of these guys um, are guys with five-year contracts and a two-year act. So, But I thought it was interesting, a guy like Lou Lamarillo going out and getting a, somebody like Patty Waugh to um, coach his team. So they'll be interested to see what he can get out of the Islanders the rest of the season. Now let's talk about these crazy Edmonton Oilers who looked like this was going to be a very disappointing season, 16 victories in a row, which is amazing. I mean, for hockey, that's, that's pretty remarkable, but now they get the all-star break. And I, and I wonder, does this momentum get lost? Does team didn't look like they were battling any kind of injuries and then to get healed from. So I, man, that looked like that was a very bad time for the break. I think so, because you just never know what, um, these guys, will, you know, what their mindset will be coming back from the break. Could be, well, it's usually one sixteen-year-olds. This will this will come pretty easy to us, and then before you know it, you got you got it handed to you because you know every team that you're going into a game with now, they're they got that little extra motivation. They're like, hey, we want we want to end this streak right here. So you're right. I, I thought the break kind of came at an unfortunate time for the Oilers. 
And I wonder, I mean, this is a remarkable streak. And this team isn't just like winning a bunch of two to one games. They're dominating opponents for the most part, winning like four to one, three to zero, a lot of nights and things like that. Matter of fact, I don't think they've had a one goal victory in like two weeks. I mean, they've really been playing exceptional hockey. I, I, well, they, apart from they haven't had Minnesota on their schedule, so that's the thing. <laughs> because I, I swear, I don't know what it is. I think there was a hiccup this year, but Minnesota has had Edmonton's number for quite a few years. Well, I don't think they play them anytime real soon here either. I'm going to look this up since you brought that up here. Let's see when they come, uh, if Minnesota has them anytime recently. Nope, so... Vegas, Anaheim, Los Angeles, Detroit. No, so oh, okay. So the twenty third of February. So that is nine games from now. The ninth game from now. So, so tell me, boy, on the they, other side of the spectrum, uh, on the other side of the spectrum, what has gone wrong with the Los Angeles Kings? I yeah. believe they've won like one game in their last twelve. There's just there's too much talent out there for them to be free-falling like that. Yeah, they, they were like second in that division, now clinging to the very last playoff spot um, right now. And Vegas is neat, you know, but kind of turned things around. They were a little bit slumped, but Los Angeles has really fallen on hard times. It's, it's pretty surprising. Uh, tell me, so the winning streak. So Vegas coming out of the All-Star break, does the winning streak end there? I think it could because, like I said, I mean, these guys, they're not going to be, um, when they're on break, they're not going to be going um, to the rink every day. I can, I can guarantee you that. I'm sure most of them are probably somewhere where it's very warm. So, you know, if, if you're, are they going to Vegas right away? Yes. Yeah. So who knows? <laughs> who knows? I mean, it could be a thing where these players might report right to Vegas, and boy, if you do that with a night or two on your hands, yeah, it could be a bad combo for the oil oil coming out of the coming out of the break like that. Well, let's jump down to the AHL club. And as Kevin and I were recording the show last week, Iowa pulled out a three to two victory over Texas. A great start to the week, but boy, things turn quickly. They lose lose seven four to Texas on Wednesday, then swept at home uh, by San Diego. Two two games where San Diego jumped out on top and just controlled those games from the very start both times. And um, man, just a this is a team right now, especially the number of goals that they're giving up. It's just kind of stunning where they're at right now. Yes, and I believe that trend has necessitated the move of uh, Wild um, trading um, Maxime Kajkovic to Pittsburgh for Will Butcher, a guy that has, I believe, like 380 NHL games under his belt. But So he's an experienced defenseman that, you know, he could be a guy that could be helping Minnesota at some point, but... It sounds like he did play on Saturday night and could be a guy that's going to immediately try to help Iowa get get their defensive game on track, but that seems to be the problem. On Wednesday night, they were never in it against Texas, and I think it was after the third goal that Zane McIntyre got pulled 
third or fourth, I forget, but after that happened, um, it sounded like um, McIntyre casted a bit of a glare at the coach. So you got to wonder where Zane McIntyre is at um, confidence-wise and mostly right now with his game. And it even led to Peyton Jones getting his first start in the AHL since December 2021 on Friday night against San Diego. And I thought Jones played well, but then Saturday night McIntyre was back, and I didn't see the game. I don't know if it was these own coverage issues or McIntyre's not making the saves he needs to, but, you know, it was another shaky night in that form. Now, as you mentioned, on Wednesday night, Texas scores their first seven goals of the game, four in the first, three in the second. I mean, this is just a complete blowout of this contest. Well, I would like to say I'd like to give Minnesota, or Iowa credit for battling back and getting four goals, but when you're down 7 nothing, making it 7-4 didn't do anything for you. So I'm not going to give any credit for that, Kevin. Uh, as you mentioned, yeah, Texas McIntyre might have just got a little disinterested after a while. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, McIntyre gives up three goals on nine shots before he's pulled. Jones comes in and stops 14 of 18 shots. Adam Beckman did score two goals in the game, so we'll give him a little pat on the back for that. Um, but Kevin, at Friday night's game, 2-2 tie coming out of the first. San Diego scores two goals uh, about, what, 29 seconds apart to take a 2 nothing lead, but Iowa able to battle back to tie the game in the first. Uh, Nick Batam with his 11th, Stephen Fogarty with his 8th, but it is a Wild third period for the Gulls. They score four times in the period. Mason Shaw does get a goal in that contest, Kevin. But San Diego, uh, you know, pretty close game for the most part, but that third period dominated by the Gulls. Yeah, and well, let's keep in mind, too, though, that two of those goals were um, of the empty net variety. But, you know, it was uh, it was anyone's game rolled into the third period. I guess that's, that, that's a frustrating part is that, you're at home. You got a game that's tied. You're going into a third period against a San Diego team that really hasn't had a good season, and they just couldn't get that goal. And then um, San Diego pops a couple in, and that was uh, that was the game. As you mentioned, I mentioned Peyton Jones with 22 saves in the contest. He winds up taking the loss. The next night against San Diego, another time a goal score three times in the first score the first four goals of the game, including two power play goals in that. Uh, Iowa able to close the gap to cut within two by Spachek and Carson Lambos, each scoring there. But San Diego re-extends the two-goal advantage before Mason Shaw scores two goals, including the shorthanded one. But San Diego closes it off with uh, a late empty net goal. Two different guys scored hat tricks for the goals in that contest. Let's start with Shaw, though, Kevin. Uh, coming back from another injury and looked very sharp for this club with three goals in the first couple of games for him. Yes, you know, he is, he, he is scoring goals, but uh, sounds like the, sounds like you know, speed-wise, he's, he's got some work to do. And, you know, the, the guy basically, he, right now it's his training camp right now. So, you know, temper the excitement a little bit on Shaw. I mean, great, you only got three goals in two games over the weekend, but right now I think the the thing with Mason Shaw is just trying to get his game back and get his confidence back and, 
get his speed back up where he can be a guy that maybe Minnesota could look at um, somewhere down the stretch to help their um, brutal penalty kill. But for now, you just hope that Shaw's um, find a comfort level with his um, knee and yeah, I guess the goals are encouraging them um, three and two games. So can't help but mention too uh, the guy, one of the guys that got the hat trick for San Diego, Nikita Nestorenko, was wild property last spring, but he went to Anaheim in the John Klingberg trade and uh, came back to bite his organiza- old organization in the rear with a hat trick. Yes, Sasa Pasajovs gets the other hat trick, and there are his first three goals of the season uh, for the club. Zane McIntyre gives up six goals on 22 shots uh, for a tough night for him. Um, And, man, a 7-4 loss in this. The the club this week, Kevin, a couple of games against Henderson. Let me pull that up here right now. Uh, So, first of all, let me say this. Uh, I win sixth place in the division, 14-24-3. They are trailing Chicago with the team you're chasing right now is the fifth place team in this division. They are four points behind them and looking to get that final uh, playoff spot for the play-in game opportunity. But this weekend, travel out to Henderson. Henderson has not been as dominant this season, but still a very tough place to go and play. And, uh, man, to, you get out of your division, so you're not really helping yourself by hurting an opponent but maybe a change of scenery is a, what this team needs right now and getting out of the division for a little bit of time. Boy, it's hard to say, though, because you're going out to Henderson, which is a hop, skip, and a jump from Vegas. So, you know, you could always end up with a case of the Vegas flu and be a little bit distracted for a couple games, but I hope that's not the case. Um, yes, Revolstead will be back with the team, so that'll be a plus as far as goaltending goes, and Jake Lucchini was was sent back down to Iowa right after Minnesota started their break. And obviously, it sounds like by the time Minnesota plays again that Connor Dewar and or Vinnie Letary would be able to play again, so they'll be slotting back in. So no need for Lucchini up with the big club, so that'll give the Iowa Wild, a bit of a boost. The AHL All-Star Classic is this weekend as well, uh, fourth and fifth in San Jose. So um, check out the action. I'm sure they're showing them out there somewhere. Let's see if they say where you can watch this game at right now. Uh, no, I don't know where, I, where where you can. I'm sure NHL Network will have it and some other things out there. There'll be somewhere to watch it, Kevin, That's what I'll say. That. What's your view? What's your view uh, on uh, like NHL or AHL All Star games? I find them to be unbelievably boring. <laughs> I'm just gonna be. I, 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 I All Star games in general, I don't like other than baseball. I'm just gonna tell you, it, it just it, it's not as much fun to watch because you know, guys don't want to get hurt. I totally get that kind of thing, but to see you know nine goals scored in a period or something like that just isn't exciting to me. And it's, you know, the NHL now is doing the three-on-three format for their all-star game and have, like, a little tournament thing. And to me, it just, I could, I just don't find any interest in it. And the skills competition, I feel like I've described many things like this, but 
the skills competition, sitting at home watching it, is like showing up at a party that you weren't invited to. You, you just you're watching everybody else have fun, but you're not you're not really having fun watching it because you're not really a part of it. That's a good that's a good observation. Very good analogy, as a matter of fact. And the uh, uniforms yeah. they came came up for the All Star game this year were just hideous. Well, yeah. Okay, we can harp on that for a little while. But how about some good news, though, Kevin? Uh, those Iowa Heartlanders gave us a little something to be excited about as they go two and one. The victory over Cincinnati at home on uh, on Wednesday, and then splitting with Indianapolis over the weekend. So. Nice performance by the Wild out there to get, or excuse me, by the Heartlanders to give us something to be happy about. I thought I was reading somewhere, and I had nowhere to follow up on this, but it sounds like that might have been their first win ever in Cincinnati. Does that sound yeah, right? Yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I said at home, man, but it is in Cincinnati. Yeah, and I believe that is the first time they've won there. So um, let's celebrate that. That was pretty good. Yes, it was. Um yeah, it looks like the Heartlanders are still riding the hot hand of Drew DeRitter, so that's been a nice story for them, too. So they take a 3-1 to one lead in the first period in that game. Kevin Cincinnati able to come back and battle to tie the score, but Casey Dornbach gives the team the lead for good, 13-36 uh, through the second. They had two other goals in that contest, including an empty net goal. Um, as Kevin mentioned, uh, in this game, it's Hunter Jones getting the victory. Uh, his stopping 19 of 23 shots. I believe that is only his second win of the season for the team. Is that right? No, it is his third this season as he moved to 3-6-2 and two with the club. Um, clearly, the goals against average at 3.89 is not particularly great, but, um, you know, we'll take the victories where we can get them right now. And uh, Cincinnati, not an easy place to win at. You know, I, I w- went and watched some games there with the Wichita Thunder, and uh, that's a, just a great place to watch a game and the crowd is really into it. So if you come away with a victory in Cincinnati, that, especially for a team trying to get into a playoff position, Kevin, that's a, that's a big victory for sure. Is that at the older arena in Cincinnati? Yes. Yes, it is. They said that so. arena, like the, the, the seating bowl area there, is modeled the same as the Met Center was in Bloomington. Okay, cool. Yeah. So their press box area is just a bunch of tables they have sitting over the chairs of uh, one of the seating sections. So it's pretty interesting to watch the game. But you have a great view of the game. When they set it up, it's pretty cool. So uh, I like watching games there. It's yeah, Met, I mean, Met Center, for those that didn't get to go, there was, you know, you, you hear the cliche, there wasn't a bad seat in the house. Well, that was the truth of Met Center. 15,000 people you could get in there, but... There wasn't, you know, as you see in NHL arenas now, there wasn't a suite level, there wasn't a club level, it was lower level, upper level. So, you know, I had partial season tickets, six rows in the upper deck, and I mean, they were just incredible seats. Where the San Diego Gulf play is like that too. Um, Great place to watch, and just not a bad spot to sit anywhere in the stadium. Uh, Friday night. Indianapolis holds a one-goal lead for much of this contest. They score 452, Chase Lang with his second goal of the season to make it one nothing. 
that holds through the first two periods, uh, but then it is Cincinnati, or excuse me, Indianapolis extending it, Zach Jordan and Brian Lemos, fifth and seventh goals of the season, make it 3 nothing. Minnesota, Iowa able to cut that to a two-goal deficit, but an empty net goal closes out the scoring. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Hunter Jones, again, playing very well in this contest, taking the loss, though, stopping 33 of 36 shots. But he played pretty well for the team. It's just unfortunate on a night that his team was not able to produce more goals for the club. Chase Lang, he was also once property in the Minnesota Wild, too. <laughs> on Saturday... Iowa not letting this, uh, since uh, Indianapolis get into this contest. And crazy second period. So scoreless through the first. Four straight power play goals for the Heartlanders in the span of less than four, a a little over four minutes. Excuse me, Kevin. So uh, four minutes and 25 seconds. Four power play goals. That's a lot. I mean, four power play goals in any game is, is, is. crazy but four in the span of four minutes that's that's almost absurd (laughs) Indianapolis um may have wanted to try to stay out of the box I know it's pretty cliche but wow (laughs) (laughs) unless it's crazy it was a a five-minute charging major that led to those opportunities and Iowa was all over that and good for them that's what you want to wind up doing the, uh, yes, Indianapolis you do, because those majors can turn a game around, too. You know, if you get a five-minute major like that and then you don't score at all, complete momentum swing to the other team. So, I mean, that was huge for Iowa to capitalize on that the way they did. Absolutely. Uh, the Fuel able to battle back to cut it to two, but Nick Campoli scores 205 and a third, getting a hat trick. I believe that's his first professional hat trick. Uh, nine goals on the season. Once again, Indianapolis gets another goal in that game to pull it back to two goals. But the Heartlanders close out the scoring with their fifth power play goal of the night. They add there as well to come away with the huge 7-3 victory. In this game, it is uh, Drew DeRitter coming on, stopping 29 shots. A bunch of guys had career nights there. Campoli with three goals and an assist. Um, but how about Will Calvert? Caverly, 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 I think is what that is, with 15 penalty minutes. Like the only bad side of the whole game for the club out there. A lot of guys with two points and three points in the game. Well, that, you know, that's easy to do. If you get like a, a fighting major and then have an instigator on top of it, that's 15 Absolutely, minutes right yeah. there. So. Absolutely. So uh, nice week, though, on the road, Kevin. Two and one for the club. Yeah, it was good to see, you know, after a pretty disappointing homestand the, the week before. It's good to see them turn it around. Sounds like um, I was doing a little reading that Davis Kosh, who's been a very good player for the Heartlanders, uh, left the team to pursue professional opportunities overseas, so that'll be a loss for the Heartlanders. But seems like as the Iowa Wilds' health has gotten better, that it seems like there's been a, Surplus of forwards on the on the Heartlanders anyway. So the team stays on the road this week, Kevin, heading to Kalamazoo. They're four points ahead of Iowa right at this point as the Heartlanders are 16, 19, and 6 in, in 7th place in the division. But four points out, go ahead into Kalamazoo. If you could even come away with three points out of this weekend, 
Um, the worst case scenario is that you're you're you know couple three points behind Kalamazoo, and you know that's the kind of thing that can start building on it. You you got you got two points in Indianapolis, which was huge, and so um, I mean I think the club is is just six points even out of third place right now. This, this team is definitely in, uh, has the potential to really battle this thing out and get themselves in the playoffs right now. Well, yeah, I think I think the confidence from the previous weekend is going to be key going into uh, that set with uh, Wings. And it seems like it's been a team that the Heartlanders have matched up well with in the past. So, you know, because hopefully you're going to see some good things come out of that weekend. What I like about this, Kevin, is, is that if you can at least split this weekend in Kalamazoo, then you're going to come home for seven straight, seven big games, Kalamazoo for one of those, Cincinnati for two, then you have uh, Indy, the Indy Fuel for three, and then the Wichita Thunder will be coming up for Wednesday on the 21st. So you're going to have an opportunity to to use your homestand to really make up some ground right now, and six or eight points when you have that many games in a row at home is really not that insurmountable. I mean, this team could go like five and two, you could find yourself in third place before the weekend, you know, before the end of February is over. And that's the good timing too, is that they're starting to play better hockey as, and then they'll finally get some home cooking coming up soon. So I think you're right that that could be a time for them to make up some ground and, you know, possibly be playing some meaningful games in March. Well, Kevin, let's uh, close out the show by talking a little uh, prognostication by you here. As Minnesota here entering the all-star break, and, boy, there's a lot of different directions that this club could go right now, whether you're fighting for making a playoff position or deciding that it's time to move on and start thinking about the future at this point. So what's Kevin Luco looking for in these last few months? What, what What's going to go on with this Minnesota Wild Club? I just think you're going to see this team – I think it's going to be like the rest of the season's been where they get on a little bit of a hot streak and then throw some clunkers together. And I don't see this team making the playoffs. They might be have a 500, NHL 500 record, which means that it would be 25 wins, 25 losses, 10 ties if you played 60 games, where really you're losing 35 games. But they call it NHL 500. I think that's what you're going to see out of this team, and I just don't see uh, I don't see the playoffs in the future for this club. But yet I don't see an absolute collapse where they could be in the good position to get the number one pick either. Chicago and San Jose are making sure of that. <laughs> yes. yes, they are. Anaheim even trying to get on that too, I think. So, Kevin, do all three teams in the Minnesota Wild system miss the playoffs? I think so. I just – I think we are not seeing a lot of guys having breakout seasons for the Iowa Wild like we thought we'd see. I think Sammy Walker's been a disappointment – I think Adam Beckman has taken a step backwards. I think the young defensemen have shown their youth in in their play too. And you know, 
was yes for ball step between the injury and then getting called up to Minnesota and now he hasn't played in quite a while so we're gonna have to get his game back. I just I don't see this team being able to get on any sort of a roll to get into a playoff situation. Of the three, are the Heartlanders the ones with the most likely chance of making the playoffs? Believe it or not, I'd say yes, because, uh, you know, the ECHL is unpredictable. You just never know. So, like we were just talking about with them having some uh, extended um, games at home, that you just, you, you never know. I agree with you on that one completely. Kevin, thanks for joining me this week. My pleasure.